everybody, and welcome to Putting the Horse First. I'm Isabeau Salas. My co-host. Kelly Klein. And our guest for today is Anna Jabata. Uh, Anna, why don't you tell us? a little about where you're from and what you do there. Well, I'm from Poland. Uh, obviously, because I have horses, I live in a village. And the name of the village is Czarne Błoto, which means exactly black mud. And this is funny, I know. <laughs> but this is what the name of the village is. Yeah. It's located near Toru. It's a city um, maybe famous for Nikolaus Copernicus and the gingerbreads. That's so great. Anna, and... Tell us about what you do with horses there. Do you have a riding school? And who are your students, if you do? Yes. Okay, I have a riding school. My own riding school I've had for um, 22 years. Before, I taught riding in different schools. And um, I, I observed many things. And the thing that I didn't want to do in my school, I did not want to torture horses. Yes, the only thing that I do now is I do individual lessons and and not everybody is allowed to ride in my school. We have um we have weight limits. Yeah. It's it's for the horses, for the horses sake, yeah. Only, yeah, and it's so important because I love all my horses. All of my school horses are special. They are ponies, they are older horses, some of them are rescue horses, some of them horse are horses that have sport horses that people uh, did jumping on and other very important, you know, they were competition horses. And now they are in my school. They teach people, they teach children. And it's very important for me that they are first. They are the, the most important. So if somebody calls my school and wants to learn riding, I first ask their age, their weight and their experience. And I see if I have a horse for them. If I don't, then I say sorry. That's great. That's great. So everybody that calls in, you ask those questions. How did you come to this way of doing your um, riding school like this? Was it something that you saw or something that you observed? over time and, or just had a feeling about how did you come to this all of it all of the things that you say Kelly I observed that uh, school horses in the world not only in Poland oh, I observed that school horses are sad they are sad horses they are shut down sometimes they say that they don't want to do stuff and then they are sold yeah because they didn't <laughs> because they they didn't you know they weren't suitable for the riding school and this is so sad because they uh, the owners of those uh, schools they don't look at them as those very important ones the only important ones actually they teach people they they suffer you know and that's what i did not want to do in my school i i observed how they behave i i observed what they say to me after this person and this person has, has written on them. And then what I try to do is as quickly as possible, of course, teach those people to ride in a way that they don't disturb the horse, that they don't hurt the horse. I try to teach them the light seat, the best balance that they can. If I see, for example, that a horse is not suitable for that rider, I change the horse quickly. I look for a different horse from my school so that um, neither the horse nor the student is suffering. And this is very important. That's so awesome. So what would you say your definition of putting the horse first means to you? Is it physical, emotional? What are all the different aspects that you look at when you are putting the horse first in your in your school and also in your own life? Because you have your own horses too, right? Yes, 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 I do. All oh, this is, you know, uh, we could talk about that for hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, for example, okay. There is this school horse, a big one. His name is Loco, 
I got him a year ago and a friend actually rescued him. He's a very big horse, one meter 67 in withers height. Uh, I mean, in centimeters. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And he, he's very big. And a friend actually last year, she rescued him from a very, very bad school. He was uh, shut down. He was, he just didn't, okay, you can do to me whatever you want. He was very calm. He was, you know, obedient. He just went on the walls, walked to the counter, left, right. He didn't say anything. People in that previous school were bumping on his back, you know, the hands were doing, pulling, everything. And he did not react to anybody. She told me, Anna, this is a perfect school for horse for you. I rescued him. I bought him because I bought him because... The owner didn't like that horse. I didn't know why. So she said that she has to rescue that horse. She bought him back. He spent three months at her place just not doing anything. And he came to my place like for a trial for me to see if he would be suitable. And for three months, he just didn't say anything. He just, you know, do, do, do. And I looked at that horse and I cried. Really, the first time I took him into the indoor, I didn't take him to the lesson. I just took him into the indoor. It was winter. And I just took him on the very long line with like a long whip, but I didn't use it. I just wanted to observe the horse. And he just stood there. And I, I, I said, wow, okay, let's, you know, follow me, come with me. And he was like, okay, whatever you say. And he followed me and he looked somewhere. And I was just so sad. I just let him, stopped him. I, I wanted to see what the backup looked like. He was very obedient. Like, of course, I will back up. No problem. I said, oh God. I took him on the launch line. He was like, oh, no, no. But no problem. Walk, trot, canter, left, right. What do you want? I'll do everything. And I was, I cried. You know, seriously, I cried. And, you know, this girl said to me, Anna, don't worry. Three months in your place and he'll be fine. And you know what? She was right. He went to the meadows with friends. He has, you know, Kelly, you know him. He has Mr. Arab as a friend mm -hmm. and um, ah. another horse that was a jumping horse, an old guy, 24 years old, but he's still running. He's still teaching kids, you know, and he has these two friends in the paddock with him. And he was like, oh, okay, I can go outside. I can like, you know, be there with friends. And he got food. He was like eating all the time, eating, 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 as if he didn't get enough. And he was really sad in the lesson and very obedient. You know, everybody in my school could write. But what I said to the people in the lesson is like, be careful, you know, be careful with his mouth, be careful with his back, you know, be careful with the balance, a light sit in the canter only, let him, you know, in a canter on the loose rein so that he could like rest and raise his back. And after a couple of weeks, he was like, really, he started to smile. This is what I observed, really. Maybe somebody would laugh at me who hear this, but no. And you know what? But for the first two or three months, we put like almost everybody on him because he was very nice and everybody loved him. And everybody said, oh, this horse is so easy to ride. And so, you know, turning left, right, walk, trot, canter, no problem. And then we put a guy, he, he rode my older horses and they were fine, this horse. He sat on him and suddenly... He said, no. Okay. He said, this guy, he doesn't know stuff and I won't turn. I won't go. He's like starting to go into the walls and like, Ooh. and I'm like, okay, what happened to this horse today? He says what he thinks. He tells the people, hey, wait a minute. You're not, you know, you're not doing this correctly. And he just goes, somewhere. it's not like very dangerous, but I'm like, whoa, what happened to this horse? He is finally a horse. He is finally, you know, speaking out loud that, hey, you need to, you know, know what you're doing. <laughs> That's amazing. You allowed him, you allowed him to speak. You put him in a place yes. where he had the choice to say something. Yes, yes. And now he has grass, he has his friends, you know, but then he slowly comes back and says, like, okay, sorry. <laughs> and such, such horses come to me. Because, you know, I cannot afford a perfect school horse, if, if there is a definition for that. It's people have a gypsy cops, thinkers, 
and they do the job yeah because mm-hmm. of their nature of their character mm-hmm. but due to that these horses they traditional riding school they often become sad and this is not what i want this is what i don't want so yeah. great that's so great so what is the name of your school there in poland it means the stable in black mud <laughs> just like that <laughs> Thank you. Welcome the village because that's a great thing. So, yeah, that's how we called it. And yeah, everybody knows, you know, that, okay, there is a stable here. Great. And what would you say is the, when your students come to you, do you teach children only or adults also? Don't teach beginner adults. They're, they're a bit too heavy for my horses. I try to explain it in a way that, that I don't hurt, hurt the person's feelings, that I explain that I am putting the horse first, you know? Well, overall, yeah, on the, on the whole, Riding is difficult, yeah? And it would be great if every person had a horse that is ideal for the level that they are at at the moment. That would be ideal. Then, again, it would be ideal if every student rode at least three times a week. And people don't do that, and that is why there are problems, yeah? I mean, I really, really try to break things down to the minimum, to the, you know, the littlest pieces possible. And I teach very slowly. And of course, my teaching um, changes from year to year. I teach differently, but I get more experience. I observe more. I train my horses uh, on the ground. Uh, I also train myself. I train my eye. That makes me change. And I think it's for the better. I try, obviously. I don't want to play them. It's difficult to ride. It's sometimes there is fear, you know, in those people. And then it's it's not that they cannot do something on local. For example, uh, on a circle to the right, he sometimes catches their inside hand and enlarges the circle a little bit and goes a little bit out. And, you know, what they have to do is mildly bring him back, like, like bend him a little bit and say to him, hey, no, 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 you stay on that circle. But then they have to sit correctly. They have to use the outside leg. They have to use the outside hand. For a moment, but they just need to quickly correct the horse a little bit. But if they don't notice that he's doing a little thing, a little disobedience, a little like, eh, maybe not, you know, if they don't notice that and if they don't correct him, then he does the bigger things. Then he just goes and they're like, oh, you know, and when they let him do it once, twice or three times, then what I need to do is like, I need to sit on him and correct him, which I can do. Thank God. <laughs> and then, no, then I have to give the horse to the more advanced riders and the riders that spoiled him like are banned on him for like two weeks or so it's difficult you know it's difficult but that's what i have to do you know he's seven years old you know it would be ideal if if he had like um, a perfect horse childhood yeah if somebody if a professional wrote him for a year or two after being like broken in i hate the word but i you know i have to use it if a real professional wrote him, like when he was four years old, five years old, and then maybe the advanced students wrote him, and maybe then after two or three years, maybe beginners could write him when he's 10 years old and not now. Yeah, it's really difficult. I could talk about that for hours. Right. We could talk about this for hours. And actually, that's why we love having this podcast is because we think it's going to grow and build with people like you that are bringing their little part of the world insight into the rest of the world. So Isabel, is there anything else that you wanted to add or ask or share? Cause yeah, sure. So Anna, everything you were saying is I have taught on and off over the years and definitely resonating with me a lot. 
um, when I'm thinking specifically at the time when I've taught summer camps, which I've taught three, three different summers. So these are all kids. Say I could have a group of kids and they're all 10 years old. Some of those kids maybe have very little riding experience, but they are tremendously athletic. And within a very short period of time, those kids are walk, trot, cantering, jumping, and asking me if they can try sitting on the horse backwards. And other kids who maybe have been taking lessons for two years, they cannot post, they do not know diagonals. So thinking about, this could be a good opportunity for us to invite our listeners to come in and give us some feedback. Thinking about how to navigate that conversation that Anna is having in her riding school. We want to put the horses first. We also want our customers, them to be able to enjoy horses and to progress with horses. But as someone... I'm 52 and I am very not athletic. And that's one of the reasons why horsemanship has been such an intellectual pursuit for me because I don't have a lot of physicality to bring to it. Very little, as a matter of fact. (laughs) But that's difficult to sell to, to lesson students as a, listen, you may take lessons once a week for a year. And at the end of that year, you may still be struggling to post a trot. This other person might be jumping in two, three courses without stirrups. And that's difficult for us to come into market with those facts and try to come up with a way of, you know, conveying this to people in a way that's compassionate, empathetic, not rude. We want to put the horses first. There are a lot for me, I come back to, there are a lot of avenues to progress with horses. And yes, I'm not going to be like that one person who's jumping bareback in a year, but there's a lot of other stuff to learn. So yes, and I find you're having, I've encountered many of these issues too. And it sounds like riding schools in Poland have a lot of the issues as riding schools in the United States. And here, a lot of customers, they'll just pick up and leave. So professionals or riding school owners are faced with, Well, do I try to hold a certain standard, but I can't earn enough money to keep the school going? Or how do you how do you balance between the free market and doing what you want to do? That's right. Um, That's probably a good topic for us to pick up for another podcast or to get feedback from our listeners from. Um, But yes, we are lately honing in more and more on on how we can treat our horses better, how we can teach our students better the better. Um, now we kind of got the problem of how do we deal with the fact that we're all coming into, into this with very different inherent skills, inherent physical just attributes just naturally, which can really affect how fast folks progress. Yes, yeah, true. And also horses have their own different physicality and ability oh. skills also. So like Anna said earlier, making that match and having the horse for that person. I tried to do wind sailing once when I was in France and I was it was a complete disaster. <laughs> they told me it was gonna be hard. You know, they're like, You're not probably gonna get this. And I said, I've got pretty good balance. And I did a little, but they were right as usual. And uh, <laughs> I was completely wrong, but it's not even even wind sailing is difficult, but it it's not an animal. It's a thing, but then you have the ocean and the waves and you have all this other influence, much like a horse where it seems like it's all going to be so easy, but then you have all these other outside influences that, um, that can create challenges for the horse and for the rider. And I think it's a hundred percent right on. Thank you, Anna. I thought I was, it's just so lovely to see you. It is great to see you. And it was very awesome to hear your stories. And it is very impressed that riding schools in Poland are very similar to what we have in the United States. Okay, well, before we share our email address, is there anything else that you'd like to add, Anna? Well, 
ask. I don't know, you know, you, you know, you know exactly. I can talk about horses for hours, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's our passion. It's our passion. We love those horses and um, we want what is best for them. And our hearts hurt when they are hurt by our customers, you know. And what, what I do on those lessons, I really sometimes I think so hard what to say to them that they ride in a way that they don't, you know, ruin that horse you know and very often i can do it i can do it and i and come to the moment where i have only clients who really want to be here they're just the same people sometimes somebody new comes and then i tell them the rules the rules are the horses first yeah and they sometimes are like what and then i explain i explain why and then i tell them how the horse feels and that is very important that a person Right, systematically, like, you know, once a week, it's not enough, but okay, you can start once a week. But then most people who ride here ride at least twice a week and three times a week is perfect and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, for the, for the, for the welfare of the horse, you need to listen, you need to focus, you need to not bump on the horse's back, not do this, not do that, but try your best. And me and my fellow instructor will tell you how. And, you know, we say you're welcome, you know, to, to, to be here with us and to uh, to be a part of this community. And these people are like, oh, okay. And some of them try and say, okay, well, sorry. And But but recently, most of them stay. And that is really, you know, they've stayed for so many years. I have girls who are like eight years old and now they're 18. Yeah, or oh. they were 10 and now they're 20 and they're still riding here. And their riding is really beautiful. It's really beautiful. So, and I'm really grateful that they stayed and they're like, okay, grateful that they can be here, that they are appreciated. And, you know, some of them come to help and they ask me, okay, can you teach me to work this horse from the gown? Can you teach me, okay, how can I do that? That this horse feels better. And this is what they do. Like today, a student came and took a horse, you know, on the cavison just to do the circles, some shoulder in, some haunches in you know, some stuff. And I looked a little bit and I say, hey, this student has had like a break for a year from th this kind of work, but she's been riding at my place for 10 years. Wow, and she still remembers it. And the horse remembers it. I'm like, wow, and this is, this is not bad quality, I told her. And I was like, amazed and so happy and so grateful. And we were like, yeah, yeah. And it's, it, it's hard, but in the long run, it pays off. It's, it's, I love it. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that with us. That is very encouraging. Probably a good place for us to uh, wrap up. All right. So thank you to all our listeners for joining us here on uh, episode three of our brand new podcast, Putting the Horse First. If you have any feedback for us about our podcast or have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to shoot us an email at putting the horse first. That's with a number one ST at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening.